0: Alright everybody, welcome to week number one of a brand new series we're calling The Comeback Kid, everybody. When I first heard that bumper, I was like, I like it, it's going to wake them up. I like it, I like it, I like it. So all that, all that holy worshiping y'all just did, and then y'all just bumping out here like, like y'all never heard music like that. So uh, excited to welcome you uh, to this first week of this brand new series. You know, I believe it or not, I actually have uh, about uh, a year's worth of preaching ready. Uh, it is normal for me to plan my preaching calendar a year out. So usually in the fall, I'll take just a moment, um, a, a couple of days away, and I'll, I'll just spend time with the Lord. I don't take my family uh, and, and uh, just me and the Lord and really asking God about what's next uh, for you. One of the things that I take very serious as your pastor is what does God want me to bring to you? What hillside should I feed you on as your shepherd? And so... Uh, I've been doing that uh, for a couple of years now, and then I plan a year's worth of preaching. And so, uh, even if I don't have exact messages, that uh, that rarely happens, but uh, sometimes I'll have uh, an exact series or, or, or at least a big idea. last November, uh, I took one of those short retreats away and came back knowing that I would be preaching a book study to you in the summer that's normal for me. Uh, that we sort of opened God's word to a book, but I didn't know which one. I didn't know what we would do. I really didn't know anything uh, about, uh, like all of us, uh, we had no idea what the first part of 2020 would hold. But very shortly after, uh, our lockdown began in March. And uh, y'all remember March? It was, y'all remember that? Nine and a half months ago, y'all remember? Um, uh, I felt like the Lord laid this book on my heart. But I wanted to bring you a message series from the book of Nehemiah, and so I'm so excited to do that. I always like to tell you where we're going before uh, we get to where we are, and so uh, I don't know how long I'll preach this series, for a little bit, and then, uh, then in August, uh, we start 21 days of prayer. I already want to talk to you about it, get your heart ready for it. I need it probably more than I've ever needed it before in my life. I need a season of prayer We every, twice a year, every January and every August we take 21 days and just turn our hearts back to God. We focus as a church family uh, on the things of God and prayer. And so I'm excited about that. I'll be preaching about the Holy Spirit, the person, the the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need the Holy Spirit in your life. Say amen to that everybody. I need it. Somebody asked me one time, "Pastor, do you need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven?" I said, "I need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart." Come on, is that like yeah, <laughs> I need the Holy Spirit to come to church with some of y'all. Uh, you just need, I don't know how you live without the power of the Holy Spirit working actively in your life, and it's God's will for you to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Shout amen to that, and I know you may have never been exposed to that or taught that. I want to walk you through God's word, and we need a move and and, uh, and just the power of God moving in us in August, so I'm excited about that, but before I do, I'll bring you this message series in Nehemiah. Uh, Also, I'm so excited about Church Online joining us this weekend. Thanks for being here wherever you are around. Yeah, put your hands together for them, everybody. So wherever you are at home, online, uh, whether you're around your kitchen table or in your living room, welcome in. And you're part of our family, so excited to have you along for the ride. Come on, grab your Bibles, bow your heads, let's ask God to speak to us. Father, thank you for God's Word. And um, my heart's open to receive today. Whatever it is you want to say to me, whatever it is you want to speak to me, God, I feel like the world uh, is upside down in a lot of ways. And we need to be right side up again. I feel like there's so much confusion and disunity and brokenness. and It happened so quick. How do we get here? I'm praying over the next couple of weeks as I open my heart to your word that, you would, um, that you'll build back some stuff in me that you'll restore some stuff we've torn down, rebuild and repair some stuff that is broken. And and more than anything, God, I'm praying for revival out of this season. Let it start with me and let it start today. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody shout amen. Come on, do better than that. Shout a good amen. 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 Thanks again for being here today. and. Uh, This message series is about God using an ordinary kind of guy in Nehemiah. I'll get to his story in just a few moments if you're new to the Bible or new to Christianity and never heard of Nehemiah or his story. But this really is for everybody who needs a comeback. You feel like you need a comeback? You you feel like you want God to do something in your life? And it could be in a lot of areas of your life. It could be in your finances. Uh, I've spoken to not a few people over the last several months. The first half of this year who had a lot of goals. How many of you in 2020 thinking, man, this is going to be my year? You know what I mean? And then how many of you right now are thinking, God, please get me out of this year. Just anything but this year. Just this is not what I thought it was going to be. And uh, maybe it's in your relationships, you know. Uh, it's been great on Facebook to see everybody says, you know, I just I love, you know, this time with my family and my spouse has been so great. And none of y'all are on Facebook talking about, I am tired of him and I'm ready for him to go back to work and these kids to get out my house again. Like, I need y'all to get out of here. This I'm done with this. I'm, I, I got to go. I got to go somewhere. Where are you going to go? I don't know. You may get sick. It's worth it. It's worth it to get out of this house. I just, I got to get away from y'all. Maybe it's a relationship that's broken or it's been broken for some time. Or, 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 or I don't really know what it is in your life that you feel like needs rebuilding or revival or... Or God to really make a change in your life. But I want you to know this message series is for you. And it's for you to do the work. Say amen to that, everybody. That God's called you to do something with your life. Now, if you are the best of the best, first class, star athlete, most popular, would you please stand? You just know that you know that you're the best. Oh, wait, I knew Patrick would. Be seated. I, there's always one in every crowd. You know what I mean? Here's the good news, Patrick. This is just for you. If you are that, God can still use you in spite of how good you are. <laughs> God, God can still use amazing people, pretty people, tall people, whatever. God can still use, God can still use the best of the best star athletes. God can use incredible people who are top of the class and most popular. But God specializes in using ordinary people. Everybody else shout amen, including Patrick's wife. God God can use, He's special, He can use anybody, but He specializes in ordinary people. One of the things I love about the God of the Bible is when you look in God's Word, you'll find often it's people like you with struggles like my struggles and struggles like your struggles and ordinary people like me. And I want to talk to people today who believe. I may be simple and ordinary and not top of the class and not really the first one picked, but God has something for me to do in my life. I'm capable of more. God has more. I was born with a purpose, on purpose. I was created to do something with my life that makes a difference. Can I get a better amen? I was created to do something with my life. The next couple of weeks, it really has a potential, and i tell you this often, but I really do mean it, that This message series has the potential to change some things in your life, but honestly, I think it probably will change the people around you more than it has the potential to change you. Because if you live your life just for you, if everything in your life's about you, the accumulation of wealth, the accumulation of knowledge, what I have, how good I am, what I've accomplished, you look back over your life, and you may have a lot of stuff to point to that you've done, but you may not have a lot of people to point to that you've helped change. So I don't want you to just have a life that counts. I want you to have a legacy that counts. Say amen to that. I want you to build something in your life that the people around you look at you and go, man, that's what I want. That's the amazing thing. God used him to change our family. God used her to make a difference in our kids. God used us to really make a difference in this world. Shout amen. But I got to warn you. When God uses you, and I got, I got to give you this warning, because some of you are going to go, "I'm all in." You're going to after this message, you're just going to be rabid and um, let's do it. I can do this. God's got this. But I got to warn you that being used by God every time He uses you, it comes with a cost. It always costs you. Sometimes the price is greater than you could possibly imagine. Anybody who's ever been used mightily by God, ordinary people know the pain and the agony and the rejection. And the heartache and the failure and the loneliness and the doubt and the discouragement that comes along with being used by God. Welcome to church this weekend. That's the most encouraging thing I have for you is that it's going to get worse before it gets better. That, that if you're going to be used by God, it's going to be seasons of why did this happen. And I can't believe they left. And I can't believe the heartache. And I thought this was the right plan. And I failed in this. Does anybody know what I'm talking about besides me? And I thought it was going to work out. And where did everybody go? And I doubt I heard from God. And where is everybody? And why did they walk out? And the discouragement of being used by God. You may stand alone in that season. You people maybe. miss understand you and criticize you and mock you. But at some point in your life, you'll be able to look back and your sacrifices start making a difference. And when they start making a difference in the world, you never think about the price you paid to do what God called you to do. Can I get a better amen? I'm preaching better than your amen and in second service. You'll you'll look around and the world is different because you took a risk. Because you stepped up. Because you obeyed God. Because you did what God called you to do. And suddenly now this everyday ordinary person, you realize God did something that only God could do with my life. And you look back over your life and you think, man, that was a whole lot of pain to get there. But you never count the pain. You only count the difference that you made in your life. I want you to have that kind of life of legacy. And it was the life of Nehemiah. If you're new to the Bible, Nehemiah is an Old Testament everyday guy. His name could have been Joe, but I guess Joseph, that would have been a different story. But just an average Joe, an everyday kind of guy. Nehemiah wasn't anything special. He just decided at one point in his life, I can't sit back and do nothing. I have to do something. He actually, he actually made it sound like this. Somebody's got to do something. I think I'll step up and do the thing that God's called me to do. And, and sort of the if I give you a theme verse for the, whole, for the whole series for the next couple of weeks, it's this, it's actually found in the second chapter of Nehemiah, Nehemiah 2 and 18. The Bible says like this, and I'll preach it, and, and, and I'll give you all, all the context, but the Bible says this, so they began the good work. Everybody shout, good work. Shout, good work. God began the good work. Listen to me, look into my eyes. God has a good work for you to do. God has something for you to do in your life that makes a difference. There's a good work that some of you are doing right now. Discouraged doing good work. Pain doing good work. Uh, agony doing good work. Rejected doing good work. Feel like a failure while doing good work. Lonely but doing a good work. And I want to I want to stop. Coming out of all of this craziness the world is in right now, I got to tell you on this first week, If it's God's work, it's good work, everybody. If God's called you to it, it's a good work. If it's rebuilding, it's a good work. If it's refocusing, it's a good work. If it's reviving, it's a good work. If it's restoring, it's a good work. If it's coming out of oppression, it's a good work. If it's fighting for unity in a world saturated by the media who wants to divide you and not unite you, it's a good work. If it's being faithful when everybody else isn't, it's a good work. It's a good work. I'm going to have fun whether y'all preach with me or not. It's a good work. Sometimes, you ever looked around and think you're the crazy one? Crazy is not a politically correct word. Do uh, You ever think you're the different one? <laughs> crazy. You ever just look around your life and you think, man, all these people, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the one. You know what I mean? Like, maybe I'm, no, it, the enemy's biggest lie to you is, well, I don't know, something's wrong with you. I don't know, something, dude, all the rest of the world's gone crazy, something Something must be wrong with you. They're right. No, no, no. Look into my eyes. You're doing a good work. God's called you to good work. And in the middle of that good work, it looks like pain and rejection and heartache and agony and and people have left and I'm discouraged and I don't know what to do and how's this going to work out. But it's a good work God has called you to. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Don't stop the good work. Shout amen to that, everybody. God uses this ordinary guy. One of the most motivating and inspiring stories, I think, in all the Bible he uses this ordinary guy. He's not a pastor. Nehemiah's not a priest. He's not a king. He's not a prophet. Uh, he, he's, he, he's, not, he's not a warrior. He's just an ordinary guy. But something in his life compelled him to do something more with his life. Now, let me give you a little story about the time in history. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the Persian king. Artaxerxes, Persia has now conquered Babylon after Babylon had conquered Judah, Judah is the southern kingdom of Israel, we're in the time of the divided kings, Israel is in the north, Judah is in the south, Judah in 586 BC is conquered by the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar, you've probably heard him in different stories. And now, Persia, who most theologians believe is worse, it's it's a more brutal regime, it's a more uh, terrible uh, kingdom. Artaxerxes is now the king, and they overcome Babylon, and so they inherit the slaves, the Jewish slaves who had come in the Babylonian captivity. Are you still there? Say amen. Amen. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Now, when I say cupbearer, I don't want you to get in your mind he's some butler, just you know, just, just kind of you know, out and about, never really close by, no. A cupbearer in the ancient world was a very high-profile job. It was a job of integrity. It meant that Nehemiah was trustworthy. It meant that he was loyal to the king. Uh, Nehemiah would be close enough to the king to hear private conversations that the king would have about other people. There would be closed door meetings and Nehemiah wasn't a cabinet official. He wasn't an official in the government, but he would always be close enough to Artaxerxes that he would overhear uh, uh, things that are going on in his life and, and he had to be trusted for that. He had to be loyal to the king. He had intimate knowledge. And I can imagine that there are times... That Artaxerxes even counts Nehemiah as a friend. That in the middle of a debate or in the middle of a big question about the kingdom, that Artaxerxes would lean over to Nehemiah and say, what do you think? What do you think I ought to do? The cupbearer is not, uh, it's a reflection of his name, but it's more than a butler. It's, it really means a personal bodyguard almost. Because just like today, there are plots to overthrow uh, governments and 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 rulers of nations. There were plots to overthrow, maybe more, uh, in the ancient world. And one of the one of the ways is you would poison the king. It would be a way for him to die of natural causes, or, or what appeared to be natural causes, and and science hadn't caught up enough to prove poisoning. And so they would they would bring this inter- intermediary between the king and his wine every meal, and that was the cupbearer. And one of the jobs of Nehemiah was every time they poured a glass of wine or water for, before Artaxerxes, Nehemiah would take a drink. Now that sounds like a good deal. Some of you are like I could do that. I could I could be in on that. I mean, so my so let me get this right. My job is to drink wine all day. Some of y'all believe that's your job now. My job's, I'm kidding, a little bit. Uh, So uh, I I think I could do this, but this is not, listen, it is more often than not, there's poison there. They're trying to overthrow. I mean, it's a very cutthroat ancient world. So if I'm Nehemiah, I'm negotiating some good benefits if I'm the cupbearer. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, your boy needs a life insurance. I'm trying to get paid in case I lay out, you know, because it could be one drink, and I'm gone, and Mama's at home, and I ain't got no money. I'm going to need to get paid. So, I, I mean, this is high level. I mean, this is, this is extreme confidence that Nehemiah has from the king Artaxerxes. And, and even though he's a normal guy, he's just this average guy. And he has this regular day where he's close to the king and overhears a conversation. We don't have a lot of context. I'll build some context for you. I'm not certain this is how it happened, but in my mind it's something like this. Artaxerxes has called for representation from the Jewish people (coughs) that had gone back to Judah to begin to rebuild the city. Nehemiah is a Hebrew, so I can see Artaxerxes saying, why don't you be close? Why don't you get in on this conversation? And so Nehemiah overhears a conversation in Nehemiah 1. The second verse of the whole book starts with this conversation he sees. It's on the screen. Hanani, one of my brothers, I don't believe that's probably his physical brother. I think it it probably meant his Jewish brother. One of my brothers came from Jerusalem, from Judah, (laughs) with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. Now, there's a lot of history here, and a lot I don't have time to tell you, but he's questioning, tell me about Jerusalem. Tell me about the people who've gone back. He actually called them the remnant. Because at this time, people had begun to, to go back to Jerusalem in small numbers. Nehemiah says, tell me about my homeland. I'm from Arkansas. Come on, somebody. Nobody? All right. Whew. It was a tough crowd. I was waiting on a Wu-Pig from somewhere in the back. Or, and every once in a while, there's a Wu-Pig There's one back there. Every once in a while, I'll call. I have, I have one, one of my best friends, maybe my best friend in the world lives in Arkansas and so I'll call and I'll, and I'll ask tell me about, especially right now, You know, t- tell me about the state, tell me what's happening, and the virus and your church and what's going on in there. And, and, and Nehemiah has that same deal. Hananiah, tell me about home. Tell me about what's going on. T- tell me about our homeland and our people. And, and i got to back up to give you some history so you'll kind of know. 140 years earlier in 586, the Babylonians had attacked Jerusalem, but they hadn't just attacked them, and it wasn't just captivity. Listen, when they went to Jerusalem, the Babylonians were ruthless. They utterly destroyed Jerusalem. Every single structure in the city. They destroyed every life that they didn't take captive. They destroyed every remnant of culture. You've heard of Solomon's temple. I preach about Solomon's temple a lot. The amazingness, the splendor of Solomon's temple. They literally burned it to the ground. Not one stone stood on top of the other of Solomon's temple. Every building is in rubble. All the gates are burned. All the walls are torn down. There's absolutely no protection and everything they knew was gone and the Babylonians had taken tens of thousands of Jews into captivity and they're demoralized and they have no hope but once Artaxerxes takes over the Persians now are in charge now some of these Jews about 50,000 had begun to trickle back Home. They go back to Jerusalem to try to rebuild. They go back to try to see what's there. Could we get anything going? And they had been there a few decades, and they had nothing going. They could not build anything. That, that, matter of fact, they only had the foundation of the temple. They had been there decades, and as far as they got was the foundation. They had no homes, really. They had no jobs. The, everything was in ruin. In my mind, the same construction company working on I-10 was trying to rebuild Jerusalem. Because brothers didn't know what they was doing. I'm just saying. <laughs> you ever ride by stuff and think, man, I could do that better. Anybody but me ride by here with ideas that you think. I just roll my windows down sometime and shout them out. Like, here's what I do. Here's... Nobody cares. It's still anyway. It is what it is. <laughs> Jerusalem just can't seem to get rebuilt. And Hananias says, there's people there. And they're trying. Verse 3, they said to me. Those who survived the exile, a lot of them came back, but they're still in great trouble and disgrace. That's the hard part. Let me pause here and look at me in the eyes. The hard part is not the trouble you find yourself in. The hard part the embarrassment that you got yourself in trouble. More people don't come back to church not because of the trouble, but because of the embarrassment of the trouble. There's disgrace, and, and, and I don't know what to do, and, and I thought we could have fixed it by now, and I thought it'd be better by now, and I thought we'd have it built by now, but Hanani says, no, the wall of Jerusalem, underline that in your Bible, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates, underline that in your Bible, have been burned with fire. Let me pause here and preach the sort of a, a little bit of where we are contextually and culturally. When you tear down all the walls and protection from outside forces of the devil, you are vulnerable for the attack of the enemy every single time. And it's amazing when I see people who try to rebuild up their lives, but they have no protection around their lives and they can only get a foundation and then it burns down again. And then they make a little bit of progress and the enemy comes in and burns it down again. And 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 they think that things are getting Better and they spend a couple of months faithful, and then the enemy comes in and burns it down again. Because at some point, you got to realize I got to protect this thing before I can rebuild this thing. Are you there, everybody? I got to build some protection around my family, and protection around my marriage, and some protection around our home and our church, and I got to rebuild some gates and some walls. And Hananiah says it's embarrassing. The walls are down and the gates are down. There's no leadership. There's no direction. There's no confidence. There's no plan, and so we have no hope. Maybe you're in church today, and that's the feeling you have. There's just no hope to this. I mean, we've tried to build on what we had. We tried to recapture the love we had. We tried to fix this. We, we've gone to counseling. We've done, read the books, but 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 we don't know. We don't know. What to do now? Well, what do you do when you don't know what to do? When you've gone home, but it just doesn't seem like home anymore. I'm preaching above some of you. I'm preaching into the spirit world. Some of you are dealing with it just doesn't feel the same anymore. It just doesn't feel the same, and I don't know what happened, and I don't know how we got this vulnerable. and I don't know what went wrong. I don't know what went south. I I don't know where it was we tore some stuff down. I thought we were building on on a decent, I thought we were going to be able to pull ourselves out of this, but it just doesn't feel the same. And Hananiah said, I don't know, man, it just doesn't feel the same. And Nehemiah starts wondering, I know it can't stay like this. What could I do? What could I do to make a comeback? What could I do? What, what, when you don't know what to do, how, I know we've got to rebuild. I, I can't take the thought of my homeland like that, but I'm not sure exactly what I'm supposed to do. Let me give you three ways to start your comeback. Write this down, and then we'll pray. Number one, you, you got to sit down and cry. You have to sit down to cry. The Bible says it like this, that we weep with those that weep. We weep with those that weep over the course of the last several weeks and months, as our nation has literally been torn apart by the ravages of hate and, and disunity and discrimination. There have been many, not a few, conversations that I've had with friends and brothers and pastors and church members, and I've, and I've not tried to offer my opinion. Social media tells you that your opinion has to be immediate and people want immediate feedback. The problem with immediate feedback is it usually goes out of your mouth or through your thumbs before it comes through your mind. That is good, I know. <laughs> and uh, and I would call my black brothers and sisters and I would say, I don't even know what to say, but let me just cry with you for a while. Because I n- never walked like that. Most of the time, people don't need an answer from you. They need tears with you. Some of the healing that could start in your ha- in your home and in your family and in your marriage and in your kids, come on, dads, on Father's Day, some of the healing that could start to rebuild is not for you to have the solution. It's just for you to sit down and cry about the problem. If you've never settled your yesterdays and dealt with the, the past and had enough... Had enough wherewithal to go, God, i I just got to get all this stuff out. You'll get cold and calloused. And the Bible says it like this. You'll build a citadel around your heart. And then it says a brother offended is harder to win than a whole city. That you just are unable to feel anymore. And on Father's Day, let me tell men it's okay to sit down and cry. Nehemiah said, when I heard this, when I heard these things about Nehemiah 1 and 4, when I heard them about Jerusalem, I just sat down and wept. And there's some stuff that may be going on in your life that it's okay to cry about. I have cried a lot the last four months. I cried about what I didn't know. I cried about what I did know. I cried about the decisions that were made for me and the decisions I had to make. I cried about people. I I cried about circumstances. I cried about why and when and where. And if you're ever going to have a comeback, you're going to have to learn the art of settling the inside. And Nehemiah starts his his comeback to Jerusalem. He starts rebuilding by feeling what he feels. It should be easy for Nehemiah. I mean, he's the cupbearer. He can just shake off bad news. No, 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 he doesn't. He doesn't do that. The people in Jerusalem are struggling, but they're they, listen. They're a thousand miles away. He's in Susa in Persia. They're in a they're in Jerusalem a thousand miles away. Listen, brother had to make that drive on donkey. Come on, somebody, that's a bumpy ride. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to forget. Uh, you, you know what? Y'all figure that out. I can't get there. I'm tied up. They got a travel ban. I I got a quarantine. I can't go. I just can't make that thousand mile journey on no donkey. But, but I could just stay in the palace. And Nehemiah had it good. Nehemiah's eating palace food. Nehemiah's snapping pictures with the king Artaxerxes. Talking about blessed to serve. Look at him taking, taking selfies with the king Artaxerxes. Telling everybody, I got, I'm, I'm just blessed to be here. I'm just blessed to be a blessing. Look at me here. But he didn't do any of that. He sits down and cries for people he had yet to meet in a city he had never lived in. Because he knew something had to be done. Don't just think about heartbreak. Let God break some stuff in your heart. Are you there? Say amen. Amen. After he did that. Number two, if you want to come back in your life and start the process of rebuilding, you got to sit down and feel and cry and deal with your hurt. And then you have to kneel down and pray. Verse 4, I sat down and wept when I heard these things, and for some days after that I mourned, and I fasted, and I prayed. Write this in your notes. If it's big enough to cry about, it's big enough to pray about. If it's big enough to cry about, and complain about, and worry about, it's big enough to pray about. If it's big enough to post about, it's big enough to pray about, if it's big enough to cry and disrupt your marriage, if it's big enough for you to get withdrawn and worry and and stay up all night, if it's big enough to cry about, it's big enough for you to get on your knees and say, God, we got to have some help here. i got to have some help. If it's big enough to read another book on parenting, it's big enough for you to walk in their rooms late at night when they're asleep and pray over them and pray about. If it's big enough to go to counseling, it's big enough for you to go to God and say, God, i got to have some help here, God. I gotta have some. You ever wonder how offensive it is to God when you say, Well, I guess all we can do now is pray? What do you mean, all we can do now? That's all we could ever do, anybody was ask God, God. I gotta have some help right now, and I've cried about it and I'm worried about it, but I'm praying about it. And Nehemiah goes to God in prayer in verse 5, and he prays it like this Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God who keeps his covenants. Keeps his covenant of love with those who love him. His commandments. Let your ear, verse 6, be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers that your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants. God, I'm praying for people I don't even know and places I've never been. I'm praying for people who hurt me. You thought you only prayed for people who helped you. No. I'm praying for people who hurt me and people who who misunderstood me and People who took advantage of me, and people who abused me. And and Nehemiah confesses his sins, then he confesses the sins of the people, then it reminds God of his faithfulness. And, and And then the tears turn to prayer, and the prayer to fasting. And then he goes to the king and asks permission. But he prays, he prays, he prays. He covers it in prayer. It's why 21 days of prayer is so important to us. It's why we have to pray. It's, I called our, last week I asked our whole staff to fast. Why? Because I knew you'd be here today. And we're in a spiritual battle. And we're under attack. And we got to pray. And we got to cover it in fasting and prayer. We're going to win the war in prayer. Say amen to everybody. And and you kneel to pray. And then He prays about his step. Nehemiah 1 and 11. Give your servant. This is still a prayer. Give your servant success today because I'm about to go have a meeting with the king and I need favor. Write this in your notes. What you pray about reflects what you believe about God. If the only time you ever pray is over your food, God, just bless this. God, God, touch my kids. Don't let me kill them. God, don't let me die today. God, I'm flying. Don't let me die in this plane. That's usually what I pray. God, this is not how I want to go down in Southwest Airlines. God, God, just let it be. You know, if if it's just if it's small, little minor, it, it reflects what you believe about God. But if you believe God's called you to really change the world and do something amazing and and really and and just an ordinary person that God's put something in your heart to do something, to rebuild some stuff, then you'll pray that way. God, I'm asking you to move. God, I'm asking you to act on my behalf. God, work in my king. God, you're going to have to touch his heart and reveal your glory. God, you're going to have to stretch me. God, you're going to have to empower me. God, you are going to have to use me. God, I need something in my life. God, I am about to go meet with the king, and I got to have favor with him. God, I need you to change his heart. God, this person I work for, you. Got, God, I need a job again. God, our marriage is in shambles. We got to have some help. God, my baby's lost, and it needs. He needs. He needs God. He needs somebody in his life. God, give give him somebody. Whatever you pray about reflects what you believe about God. And Nehemiah believed God could change anything, even the king. And he prays 12 times, actually. In the book of Nehemiah, we we hear his prayer. He's an amazing leader. He casts vision. He strategizes. He delegates. But he covers it all in intimate, passionate, intense prayer. If you're ever going to have a comeback, your tears lead to prayer, and your prayer leads to action. Write this third thing down. At some point, you're just going to have to stand up and get to work. You can sit down and cry for a while, and you have to kneel down and pray. But then you have to stand up and act. Then you have to actually participate in the miracle. It's probably the thing I say most in meeting with people who want to meet and say, Pastor, how do I get out of this? How do I make this move? What what do I do? How do I let go of this habit? How do I get out of this addiction? Well, you know that you plus God is a majority. Say amen to that. And God'll do his part, but you have to participate in the miracle. You gotta do your part. You you gotta participate. You gotta stand up and your tears turn to prayers, but your prayers drive you to action. God, I believe so much that you want to change my city. I believe so much that you want to change my workplace and I'm inviting everybody to church. God, I believe so much you want to use my church that I serve and I give and I time. God, I believe so much you want to move in my family. that We're in counseling together. I believe so much that, God, you want to use me. God, I know that you want to use me. And he decides to act. And one day, Nehemiah is taking wine to the king. He's already tasted it. And Artaxerxes looks over and says, Nehemiah, you look sad today. Something's on your heart. What's heavy on your heart? The king said to me, what is it that you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven. He prays right in the middle of it. right. In the, you ever done that? You ever been in an argument and say, God, please don't let me kick this person right now? <laughs> you, <laughs> you ever been yelling at your kids and saying, God, please don't let me kill them? Not right now. This is not the time. Nehemiah says, God, don't let me blow this. And I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can get to work, so that I can rebuild it. People are hurting the walls are down, the city's exposed, and somebody's got to do something. God, I'm ready to get to work. God, I, I need some favor. And then he goes to the king and he says, Hey, just in case you're wondering, God's called me to do something with my life, and I got to get to work on it. And I'm calling this church back to work now. I know it's tough. I know the last three or four months it's gotten easy. It's got, man, it's easy to sit back and watch you know, church online, needing waffles. I really enjoy it because I enjoy waffles and church. It's a great combination, honestly but we had to get back to work we got to get back together we got to we got to rebuild again there's some stuff been torn down there's some people who feel torn down there's some people who feel left out there's some people who are hurting and there's a nation there's a city who's divided and there's hate and there's discrimination, and there's and there's problems, and there's and there's different camps, and there's be, being pulled in different ways, and 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 at some point you just got to say, okay, I, send me. I'm ready to go. I got to do something. I got to get ready. I, I'll go back. And Nehemiah doesn't question for once. And I wish I could tell you, and I will in the next couple of weeks. I'll tell you about the miracle of rebuilding. The wall. He doesn't just rebuild a small thing. He rebuilds an amazing wall wide enough for chariots to race over the top of it. Thick enough so that no one can penetrate it. High enough so that no army can get through it. And he hangs the gates back in 52 remarkable days. What what decades had been unable to build, he builds in months. Why? Because he sat down and cried, knelt down and prayed, and then stood up and got to... God's called you to get to work. Let's, let's start rebuilding some stuff. It's comeback season, everybody. Let's start rebuilding some stuff that's torn down. And you're called by God to do it. Write this final thing down and we'll pray. You don't have to be appointed by man if you know you've been called by God. You don't, ha- you don't, have, to have, you don't have to have man's approval if you know God called you. God appointed you. You say, well, you don't know the pain I've been in. It doesn't matter. God's called you. Well, you don't know the heartache. You don't know people that think I'm crazy. It doesn't matter if God called you. You don't need man's appointment when you have the calling of God on your life to rebuild. Bow your heads and let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence that I feel in the room today. And I thank you for a church family making our way back small, Slow, crawling back out of lockdown and crawling back out of fear and crawling out of worry. Trying to rebuild some stuff that's broken down. God, I just pray for people today who, for whatever reason in their life, feel like there's some vulnerability, there's some breakdowns, there's some stuff that's happened that's got them broken down today. And God, they need a rebuilding I pray in this very moment. Come on, pray this way, God. I'm asking you to break my heart, God. There's some stuff that I, I haven't dealt with on the inside. That you need to cry about. You need to really feel. You need to let it out of your heart. You need to you, you, you need to get that stuff out of you. And Nehemiah cries about it. And God, I'm praying about. I'm committing to covering this thing in prayer. I've talked about it enough. I just hadn't prayed it about it. Enough. I've I've posted about it, I've said things about it, I've I've gone to people about it, but I haven't prayed about it like I should, so I'm praying about it. Then God, I'm going to stand up out of this service today and go do something that God's called me to do. Now, if you're in the room today or if you're at church online and you've never surrendered your whole life to Jesus, that's the first step to rebuilding. He can rebuild a shattered life, a broken life. You say, well, you don't know how far it is. You don't know how bad I am. You don't know how far beyond repair I am. No, no, no. I know God can do anything. I know there's nobody too far, nothing too broken that God can't put back together. Maybe you're not just lost today. Maybe you're just, you're a Christian and you just got cold and just backslid. Just something in your life got in the way and you're far from God today and you're ready to come home. Whichever one those are today, I'm going to give you a chance to come home today and surrender your heart completely to the Lord and let Him rebuild some stuff. It's a simple prayer, but you've got to pray it from the depths of your heart. It sounds like this, Lord Jesus. Today I come home. I give you my whole life. I repent of all of my sins, the stuff I've done, the choices that I've made, the actions I've taken, the thoughts I've had, the words I've spoken. Forgive me. Come on, say that from the depths of your soul. Forgive me. I repent. I repent for the sins of our people. I repent for the sins of my family. I repent for the things I've done. I take ownership and I give it to God, asking you to forgive me. Jesus, I believe that you died to pay for my sins. I believe that you were buried and rose again, that I could have eternal life and victory over my sins. So I receive that salvation today, that hope today. I receive today that forgiveness. And God... I need you to be the Lord of my life. Not just saving me from my mess, but I need you to direct my life. Start rebuilding me from the ground up. Back again who I should be, what I'm called to be, what I'm supposed to be. I give you my whole life again. God, I thank you for people today who've said yes to Jesus and people today who are saying yes and people who are moving forward and starting the long process, the good work of rebuilding and coming back. God, we're coming back. Our church is coming back. Our marriages are coming back. Health is coming back. Our minds are coming back. Peace is coming back. My joy is coming back. Rest is coming back. Relationship is coming back. I'm being restored. Revival is coming back. My calling is being stirred again. I'm shaking off this lockdown mentality, and I'm coming back. And I thank you for the comeback in Jesus' name mighty and matchless name and everybody shout a big amen. Come on give God a shout of praise everybody. Come on stand up all over the house. Amen, amen, amen. Come on shout another big amen. Amen, amen. I hope you receive the word of the Lord today. and We always end our services in two ways, giving to God and in worship to God. I actually think the Bible's very clear. You enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise and you bless His holy name. Then when we leave, there should be a shout of praise on our lips. When the high priest would walk out of the most holy place, there would be a shout of praise from the whole people of God. And I want there to be a shout of praise as you leave church. And then we give back to God and our our tithe that belongs to the Lord and our offering. There's some information on the screen behind me now about how you can give online. There'll be ushers at the door if you want to give in check or cash. We're not going to pass that offering container today because some of y'all may have cooties, we don't want your cooties. (laughs) The cootie virus. I don't know if y'all heard of that one, but I want to give you a chance, and I want to tell you how grateful I am for your generosity and your faithfulness. You look around, you think, man, some of the church, I know, some of them are going to make different decisions, and Come at their own pace. There's still some people who are vulnerable, and people who are deciding, and people who are trying to make their minds up. But we're going to rebuild in Jesus' name. Say amen to that, everybody. We're coming back. I'm just—I've served warrant on the devil. We're just going to come back. We're just going to come back. We're just going to come back. And you're a part of that. We haven't—we haven't stopped anything. As a matter of fact, we've kind of put the gas pedal down. I told our trustees at the beginning, our elders at the beginning of. Uh, uh, Of this whole coronavirus thing I said I don't know what's going to happen financially Or our church or none of us really know what we're going to do But I think we're going to give more And we have Tens of thousands Of more dollars in the last Four months we've given an outreach In missions we're just going to do More serving people Loving people caring for people And you're a part of that when you give faithfully and consistently here. And I'm so grateful. Here's the last thing. Our prayer team's coming to the front right now. We always want to give you a chance to pray with somebody. If you need somebody to cover you in prayer, agree with you today, you can come forward during this last song. They'll pray with you. It'd be our honor to pray for you in any need that you have. All right, raise both of your hands in the air. Let me bless you and pray for you as we give and worship God. Father. Thank you today for your presence. I thank you for the chance I have to give and serve. God, what I give in this moment and in this service, I give as an act of worship. Receive it. I bless this people. God, turn your face toward them. God, make your face shine on them. Be gracious to them and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen.